We read scripture this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We read the chapter taking our text from verse 11. We hear the inspired and fallible word of God. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. As I stated, we take as our text, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we witness the sacrament of baptism. As God blesses us with covenant children, we feel the burden that God places upon us to raise them in his fear and for his honor. This must be done with firm loving discipline, 
but also with much godly encouragement. And especially that ladder that is on the foreground here in our text, the importance of godly encouragement in our interactions within our families, but also our interactions with one another. Now, the Apostle's letter to the church at Thessalonica is a very encouraging letter. As we read through this letter, we find out the church was experiencing fierce persecution. And under that persecution, by God's grace, they were thriving. They were sorely afflicted. Saints were being killed for the faith, but they were maintaining a godly attitude one toward another. So much so that the apostle commends them as a model of brotherly love, a model of Christian living while they were under persecution. Every chapter closes with reference to Christ's coming as the apostle encourages them and directs them to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And that's your hope. And that's wherein your confidence is to be found. But every chapter also includes encouragement to the saints. Paul was not afraid of commending them for their good works, works that God was performing in and through them. As godly parents, it's important and necessary that we take time to encourage our children, to build them up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's doubt, there's despair, there's sickness, there's trials, there's bullying, there's abuse at times. There are young adults who find themselves single who would desire to be married. There are those sometimes who are socially awkward. So many different circumstances apply to the lives of our children, our young people. And those struggles really affect every age. They're not just limited to them. But even more broadly then we can say, such struggles affect all of us in whatsoever circumstance and situation we find ourselves in. So that there's a great need within the body of Christ for encouragement. Now to encourage one another is contrary to our nature. We're much better at seeing sin. We're much better at identifying shortcomings. We're better at tearing people apart with our gossip and slander than we are at building one another up and comforting and encouraging one another. And so quickly we become self-absorbed, proud, eager to find fault, and the result then is that our primary interaction is not very encouraging. Such can happen as parents with regard to our children. So that primarily our interaction with our children takes the place of admonition, discouragement, yelling, fits of anger. We can cause despair. We can cause discouragement so quickly in their lives because that primary interaction becomes negative. And there are so many excuses that we can make. I don't want to encourage my children because perhaps then they'll get proud. They'll learn to expect the praise of man. Why would I encourage them when they hardly ever even talk to me? I can't even have occasion really to discuss things. Why would I compliment them when that could go to their head? It could make of them then those who become troublemakers in their pride. God demonstrates here in our text, in this chapter, the important place of comforting and edifying one another. Something that's necessary in our marriages, it's necessary in our parenting, and even more broadly, it's necessary in our life one with another. 
as a body of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this text under the theme comforting and edifying, noting the calling, the manner, and the encouragement. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. We have two words that are used here, comfort and edify. Both are significant. Both emphasize the importance of biblical praise and biblical encouragement that is to be shown toward those whom God places in our lives. The word for comfort here literally means to bring alongside of. And the picture there is pulling someone alongside you in order that together you go down life's pathway now, building one another up and in strengthening one another for that which lies in front of you. The word comes from a military background and it had especially to do with soldiers in the face of battle coming together, shoulder to shoulder, encouraging one another as now they were on the front lines and were forced to make the advancement that could cost their lives. Being there, strengthening, defending one another in that circumstance. As parents, it's necessary then that we don't look down on our children as though we're spiritually superior, as though we're more worthy of God's grace than they are. And too easy, we can do that by looking at the things that they're doing, rising up in pride, taking the perspective, how could you do that? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? We know their sinful natures. We've performed those sins. Some have even to a greater measure, perhaps, than they. So that there's a matter here of encouraging, strengthening, equipping for the battle in which we find ourselves together. Every sin that our children have committed, we've committed. And perhaps even to greater measures. And so we come aside them, lovingly as parents. We come beside our spouses. We come beside members of the congregation, praying for one another, assisting one another in the midst of this fierce battle that we find ourselves in, a spiritual battle against our sinful natures. The word edify is slightly different. It has the idea of building up. And we read repeatedly through the scriptures of that concept, building one another up. And ultimately, the idea is this. God is busy building his church. And he's building her so that eventually she reaches the glory and the wonder of that new heavenly life that is in glory. God is building his church how? By his word and by his spirit. Those are the means chiefly that God makes use of in this glorious work. And God places then his children in relationships and circumstances where they're called now to encourage and to build up and to strengthen one another. God gives children parents and those parents are tools now used by God to build those children up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that building up is not simply boosting their ego, making them feel good. That's not biblical. That's contrary to the reality of sinful natures and total depravity. The idea is not here that we give each other booster shops of happiness somehow. Just say some nice things. Make one another feel good. The point is this. We direct them to God and to the marvelous work of God's grace in their lives. Directing them to see the fruit of God's work in their life. Directing them to the works that God is performing in and through them and rejoicing in those works. 
Those words don't encourage pride, don't encourage flattery, but humble gratitude at what God is doing in and through the lives of these individuals by His Holy Spirit. And so we understand then our role in one another's lives as we have opportunity to build one another up in the faith, to encourage and strengthen one another in our Lord Jesus Christ, to help one another see evidences of God's work of grace in their lives, to see the fruit of the Spirit and to encourage one another in that. That's the idea here of building up by the Word of God. And in the context, that's abundantly evident. The apostle here is speaking of building one another up with the Word. God's children are living under the wonder of the cross in the hope of the resurrection and with the joy of the Holy Spirit within us. And God calls us now to encourage one another in that wonder work. As we witness the sacrament of baptism, we think of the wonder of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we live in the enjoyment of that wonder, God calls us now to promote growth in holiness growth and devotion to Christ, that we encourage one another to put first the things of God's kingdom and to seek His glory. So that, while there's a place for admonition, we'll get at that, rather than always finding fault, loving admonition, loving correction, loving encouragement that's characterized by patience, understanding, and the Word of God. Now note the striking way the apostle does that here in chapter 5. In this very chapter, the apostle is taking on that labor. The whole chapter, as well as the entire book, is noted by personal encouragement. Even in our text, the apostle says, even as also ye do. So that he's coming to these saints, he's not saying, hey, this is something you need to start doing. He's saying, you're doing it, but now keep doing it. There's a word of encouragement here that the apostle brings with the admonition and the encouragement here. But if we look back through this chapter, or through this book, in the first chapter, verse 3, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Giving thanks for you, praising God for you, noting the fact that you have hope in Jesus Christ. The apostle brings an encouraging word. He continues it in verse 7 of chapter 1. So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He's not afraid to tell them that they're examples. He's not thinking, oh, but if I say that, it's going to puff them up then. They're not going to give God the glory. No, he says, I praise God that you are examples and that through that means God is being praised and glorified. In chapter 2, verse 13, for this cause we also thank God without ceasing. That's always startling for me to read. Thinking of a pastor expressing that kind of gratitude for his flock and that conviction that he thanks God without ceasing. That's humbling. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye are our glory and joy. He continues in verse 20. 
we go to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And then chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, encouraging them in these various areas of their walk with God. Now, as members of Christ's body, we're called to this important task. The people of God encourage one another in their interactions with each other. We don't look to society for that encouragement. We don't look for the world to provide that encouragement to our children. That's not going to be godly. That's not going to be profitable. And our children often will look outside of the home. The world will use means to try to stress self-worth, what it means to bolster pride and to bolster self-dependence and that they don't need God, they don't need their parents. Even worldly people know how to use flattery to get what they want. Boyfriends will do this to you young women. Flatter you so that they can get their hands on your body or whatever else it is that they desire. It's a selfish purpose that promotes their desire of the use of flattery. And the book of Proverbs warns against that. That's not the encouragement, the comfort that we bring as God's children. Proverbs 20, verse 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. So it's important for us to know that's not what this text here is calling us to do, to flatter our children, to flatter one another. And what's the difference? The difference is our motivation. And the difference also has to do with how we go about our encouraging and our comforting. As we witness the sacrament of baptism this morning, God works in us a true joy regarding the wonder of our salvation. And we know the marvelous work by which he has given us a savior who laid his life down as the sacrifice for sin. We understand the horror of our sin. We know the burden of that sin, the shame of it, the guilt of it. And then God gives us through this sacrament, look away from yourself, look away from your sin. Look at Christ. Look at what he did for you. He shed his blood as a covering for your sin. And that sacrifice has fully covered your transgressions. He shed his blood for me. What I could never do, what I could never escape, he did in my place so that I could know everlasting life. That's the motivation then of thankful praise to the God of our salvation. Now what is it and how is it then that this is distinguished from a worldly flattering? Especially note the wherefore in verse 1, uh, verse 11. Whenever a verse begins with wherefore or therefore, it's important that we get the context and we understand what is the apostle here speaking of? What is God by his spirit here teaching us? And the apostle is saying, on the basis of all these truths that I've spoken beforehand now, this is the conclusion. Walk alongside one another. Build one another up with these glorious truths. So then we ask ourselves, what are the truths in the context here 
that are to be used in our parenting, in our marriages, in our relationship with fellow saints. Two things. First of all, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his certain return. That's on the foreground as we noted through the whole book. And especially, it's an emphasis yet that continues in chapter 5. So that the apostle here is directing them to the wonder of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. And as you recall, what was happening in the church at Thessalonica is that their loved ones were dying. And they were thinking that was the end for them. They were all concerned and they were mourning and weeping for them because they hadn't lived long enough to witness Jesus' return. And they thought now that perhaps they had missed out then on that glorious victory that would be theirs when Jesus would come back again. And so this book and this chapter is written to address that concern. And Paul assures them, no, the death of believers is not their end. Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to perform a wonder. He's going to raise your bodies to be like unto his most glorious body. Chapter 4, we have almost the same words as our text. In the last part, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then notice, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the apostle is saying, comfort one another in the truth that Jesus is coming back again. And we need to direct our children to that glorious truth. What is our encouragement in the midst of this life? We are pilgrims. We're strangers. This isn't our home. We have a Savior who's coming again in order to bring us into the glory of a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to raise our bodies. He's going to make us like unto his most glorious body. Here's the encouragement with which we go forward in life. This is not your home. You're just a pilgrim. You're just a stranger. Don't build your castles and your goals on the things of this life. This is all going to perish. But Jesus is coming again. And you're to look then by faith to the glory and the wonder of his coming. All the things of this world, including the wicked, they're going to be destroyed. There will be no escape for those who unrepentantly continue in sin. But by faith, we look to Christ. Now our natures and the natures of our children are inclined to want to stay here on earth. Very earthly minded we are building the things of this earth, establishing goals that are earthly, seeking to build fame, honor, glory, happiness in the things of this earth. And so together we direct one another, no, look beyond the things of this earth. You need to keep your eye fashioned on Christ. But even more practically, in connection with that truth, we have another glorious truth that is evident here in this context. In verse 4 of chapter 5 now, he makes a contrast. And his contrast has to do with people that are looking for Jesus' return and people that aren't. And so he makes reference to the fact in verses 2 and 3, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Now, the reality is that the apostle there is not talking about God's children. 
Jesus does not come as a thief to the children of God. They're watching. They're looking. And therefore, they see him coming. And they are aware of his return. But he's talking here about the wicked. The wicked live it up as they did prior to the flood. They don't listen to the admonitions. They don't hear the warnings. They believe the world is just going to continue indefinitely. And so the apostle says, that's not who you are. You are not those who are going to perish. Who are you? Notice verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. What the apostle is saying here by the inspiration of the Spirit is this. You are children of the light. You are children of the day. Your identity, your calling is defined by the fact that you are Christ's and you belong to him. Now, beloved, this is the encouragement your and my children need as children of the church. Your identity, your calling is defined by your union with Jesus Christ. What a remarkable encouragement. Don't let anyone discourage you. Don't let them think that your identity and your calling is defined by your gifts, what other people think of you, how other people look at you or deal with you. Discouragement is a thief, and discouragement is constantly stealing from us and our children, our young people, their joy and their happiness and their peace. And that discouragement comes from the devil as the devil tries to get us to focus on the things here below. And discouragement then robs us. It goes after all men, all women, and it not only takes away their peace, takes away their joy, but it leaves them with frustration, with insecurity, with questions, with all kinds of self-pity, with all kinds of distress, because the devil pounds us down and says, your identity is due to the circumstances of your life. Look, just look at your life. Look at your situation. It's obvious nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. You're worthless. Look at the fact that you don't have the ability and gifts as this other person does. And the devil just constantly is pounding us to the ground. And so we start identifying ourselves as others treat us. Social pressure starts having its impact. And it's no wonder that among teenagers of our day, increasingly depression, despair, suicide begins to become their experience. The devil has an agenda, and the agenda of the devil is to drive men and women and children, young people, down to discouragement. His goal is to destroy our children and to destroy us. Over against that agenda of the devil, we have the words of our text. Comfort, encourage one another, help one another be focused on who you are and the glorious place that you have in Christ. You are children of the light. You are children of the day. Walk as such. Live as such. Encourage one another in that pursuit. Talk to your children about who they are. Encourage them to live and to walk in that thankful obedience by virtue of their union with Jesus Christ. And so when you see them doing kind things, when you see them walking wisely, compliment them, encourage them in that walk, which is theirs in Christ. 
praise them for the works of God's spirit that you see evident in their walk. As God takes pleasure in his children, we take pleasure in our children. As God rejoices over us, we rejoice over them. When they're walking in sin, we admonish them. That's not how a child of the light walks. That's not how a child of the light talks. That's not the pursuit. That's the way of the devil. That's the way of darkness. You are a child of the light. You are to live as such. But ye brethren are not in darkness. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. All God's enemies will be destroyed. And that's, again, the point, too, that the apostle is making here in this chapter. There's no comfort for those who are walking unrepentantly in sin. Christ is coming again, and he's going to keep his appointment, and he's going to visit every single one who continues unrepentantly in rebellion against him. And he will visit them in wrath, and he will bring about their destruction. And that explains why the world's not looking for Jesus coming. They don't want anything to do with a judge who's going to punish. And so they try to avoid that. They try to not address it. They don't want to think about that. They're not looking for Jesus and his return. Matter of fact, it's striking that phrase in verse 3. For then they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Peace and safety. The motto of Rome was Pax Romana, and that is peace to Rome. And the apostle here is making reference to that. That was just a motto. Rome could talk all they want about peace, but there is no peace apart from Christ. There's no comfort apart from Christ. The only comfort is to be found in Christ. And so he says, they're going to say, peace, peace, safety. But what's going to happen? Destruction. Because they don't know peace. They're apart from Christ. They're not walking repentantly before his face. The only hope, beloved, is that we repent. The only comfort is found in Jesus Christ and the wonder of what he has done for us. He shed his precious blood to cleanse us from our sins so that we are no longer children of darkness. We are children of the light. Encourage one another in this glorious truth. How do we do that? What's the manner? With the word of God. Always the word of God is that tool that we make use of in the church, in our marriages, in our homes. Not only is that clearly the context of our text, but that's the teaching of Scripture. And we think of passages, for instance, in Roman, in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is speaking about the various gifts that God gives to the church. And we read in Ephesians 4 concerning verses 11 to 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, there's that word, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up 
into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now God gives pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. And with what do the pastors and teachers labor? With the word. The word of God is the tool that we make use of. The power of the word is that which we take hold of. We are sinful. We are weak as parents. In our marriages, we sin against one another. Within the church body, we're no better. We can't puff ourselves up in pride, but we turn to the word of God. And how is the body of Christ being comforted and built up? By God's word. The Holy Spirit, as the comforter, performs the powerful work of building, encouraging, strengthening the body through the word. And so God calls us as saints to be busy in the word. Frame your encouragement with the word of God. Acts 20, verse 32 speaks to that. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Commend you to God and to his word, which has the power to build up. Often we don't know what to say. We feel inadequate for the task. And sometimes that even happens with regard to us as parents. We're not sure how to deal with our teenager. We don't understand the struggles, the difficulties that they're enduring. Perhaps they're not talking to us very much. We can tell they have burdens. We can tell that they're not telling us maybe the whole story. And so we bring them the word. And we quote scripture and we bring the word to bear on their circumstance, their situation. Maybe it's others that are bearing burdens that we can't imagine. Maybe it's our spouse. Perhaps it's someone else in the congregation. We think about what to say, but every time we think of something, we think, oh, that's so lame compared to the circumstance and the struggle that they find themselves in. Other times it seems like we have so little interaction and so little opportunity to interact. And so when we finally have the opportunity, we're somewhat tongue-tied. We don't know what to say. Bring the word of God. God's word always will bear the fruit that God has ordained. And God's word will build up the saints. Sometimes it's so basic as to understand someone else's suffering. And we bring them the word of 1 Corinthians 12, the fact that when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And we encourage them in that. Perhaps we sense that our child is hurting and that hurt that our child is enduring is affecting the whole family. And again, we express that then one to another and assure one another of prayers. We bring the word of God and we trust God to apply that word and to bear the fruit of it by his spirit in the hearts and lives of his children who are among our children. And the Holy Spirit will apply it. The Holy Spirit often will apply it in ways that we would never have imagined. There are those who put notes, Bible verses, in the lunch pails of their children so that the children open their lunch pail. There's a Bible verse. Who knows how God may use that verse to apply it to the life and to the encouragement of that student 
in their circumstance or situation of need. God's word is powerful. It binds up wounds. It comforts those who are discouraged. It directs us to Christ and to our identity as it's found in him as children of the light. Comfort one another with the word of God. Build one another up with that word of God. And so that requires that we know the word, know the Psalms, know the Proverbs, how applicable the Proverbs are to our life as parents and our interaction with our children. Know the promises of God's word, precious promises of encouragement. Share them, commit them to memory so that they're on our lips when that time and that occasion allows itself. In that way, we can also make use of social media in a positive way. Redeem Snapchat streaks with the Word of God. Direct family friends to the wonder of God's care. Sometimes we see one who's hurting or struggling, and so we come near to that one. Again, we come shoulder to shoulder, and we encourage that one. We let them know. We can't understand the full burden of what they're enduring, but they have a sympathetic high priest who does. And we bring then words of comfort from our high priest. Beloved, you know from your own experience, and I do from mine, how powerful comfort and admonition from the scriptures are. And how we remember things that people said to us years ago, perhaps, who brought the word to us in a time of need. And we pray that God will cause that word to live in our hearts not only, but the hearts of our children. Maybe you see something in a child, in a young person. One reacts with anger so quickly. Another is inclined toward filthy language. Bring scripture to address anger issues, to address the tongue and how we're to speak. And let them know, that's not my word, that's not my concern, this is God, this is your heavenly Father speaking to you as a child of the light, saying, that's not how you're to be acting. This isn't how you're to be responding. You're to follow after my word. Maybe we interact with someone who's struggling with the burdens of their life. Perhaps it's a young mother with a lot of young children. And others of us who have been through that season of our lives can walk beside that one now with encouragement, God's word, Promises from God's word. And beloved, how precious correction from the word of God is for us personally. And again, that encouragement, that comfort involves admonition. It involves correction. And we're going to need that correction until we die. Such is the reality of our sinful, depraved natures against which we continually battle. And how much do you not treasure and value those who through the course of your life, whether it was parents, uncles and aunts, whether it was concerned members from the congregation, came to you and they gently, lovingly corrected you from the word of God. Personally, I'm forever grateful that God placed those individuals in my life in order to assist me. And we remember those times when someone pulled us aside, when they talked with us. I remember hearing about a young man who had been driving feed truck on Sunday. And an older gentleman from the congregation came to him trembling. He didn't know what to say, but he just wanted to address the matter. And he didn't 
He was so nervous, but he finally was able to get his words out of concern that this man ought not be doing that or ought to think about maybe something different on the Lord's day. And this young man was struck with the fact that this older gentleman, he could see how nervous he was, that he took the time to come and talk to him in order to express to him this concern and ended up finding a different job and never forgot that interaction. So it is, beloved. We're living the Christian life together. And what a joy and what a wonder when fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord come beside us in order to bring godly encouragement and admonition where necessary. Now, what wisdom is needed in our interactions with one another? Wisdom that we bring the word of God and not our own personal concerns or questions. That we don't impose our demands. And so we pray. We pray to make sure that this isn't my perspective. This is that of the master. And therefore, I'm bringing Christ's word. I'm not getting caught up in my own concerns, my own demands. The result of that will be strife. It will be trouble within the church. But to keep my eye on Christ, his way as that which is the way. Now, beloved, this requires of us a number of things. First of all, it requires that we're living with our children, that we're living with our spouses, that we're living with one another as a body of Christ. Too easy it is for us to be so busy that we're not interacting with our children. We don't have time to bring our concerns to them. We're not interacting with our wife as we should. We can make ourselves so busy with the result that we don't have time for others. If you just think of all the times in the Bible when it speaks of our admonition, our calling toward one another, there are countless admonitions implying we're living with one another. We're living with one another in our homes, our children, our spouses. We're living with one another as believers in Christ. Our children are not going to have respect for us if they see us violating God's word. They see us so busy in other activities and now we try to bring the word to them and we try to bring an admonition to them. Young people see an hypocrite and they're able to identify those who are walking in hypocrisy and legalism. Do you really love the word? Are you really living out of the power of that word? They see through that in teachers. They see through it. And parents. And so important it is then for us to be loving the word, living in that word, and now then, in love, bringing that matter of concern, correction. Contact is required if we're going to communicate. There may be a place for texts and for emails, but we need to talk. And we need to sit down and we encourage then one another. We interact with our husbands, with our wives. We go out for dates occasionally, make time to talk together about concerns, plans for the future, and to encourage one another in the difficult calling that God has placed us. But as a body, this requires then, we need to worship together. Don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Come to church on time. Spend time interacting with fellow saints. When you sing, think about the fact that through our song, we're encouraging and admonishing one another. So that even as we sing with the Psalms, this is a means of encouraging each other. We hear the word of God together. We encourage one another of that word. We talk about that word throughout the course of the week. We have opportunity to interact with each other. So that we realize the impact that God may be pleased 
to use us for. And again, we know in our own lives the power and the impact that that's had on us, either for good or for evil. Those who didn't seem to care, those who never talked about spiritual things, those who were never encouraging, or those who did. That precious aunt who gave of her heart and was always there, always encouraging. Those are things that impact our children. We think of, in that regard, Romans 15, verses 1 to 3. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. But secondly, we need to have a right perspective, and that's the perspective then of Christ. Out of love, we seek the well-being of others, realizing that how we interact and how we speak is going to have an impact. And so we need to ask, am I building up those around me in a positive, spiritual attitude of love? Am I living as one who knows the wonder of what it is to be a child of the light? Or am I living in pride? Am I living in the pursuit of my own desires? Am I living as though I'm in a talent show and everything's about me and I want to tell everybody about myself and I want everybody else to be just like me? That's not the life of the church. The life of the church is about Christ and the wonder of Christ and living and walking out of him. So we examine our hearts. What is it that motivates my life? Is it love for God? Is it the wonder of the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf? And then I seek to live in the wonder of that gospel, looking to Christ and to his return and knowing that as my comfort and my encouragement. As Romans 15 directed us to Christ, think of Christ. The past weeks we've commemorated his death and his resurrection. While on the cross, Jesus was not self-absorbed. Jesus was a living example to you and to me of this text. His love and compassion for others was evident. What did he say to John, his beloved disciple, and to Mary, his mother? He's hanging on the cross, wrought with pain. He's got nails through his hands. And what is he thinking about? He's thinking about his mother. Behold thy mother. Behold thy son. What tender compassion. What words of encouragement that they would never forget the rest of their lives. Think of the Roman centurion. He's nailing him to the cross. And Jesus speaks the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In part directed toward that man who later confessed himself to be a repentant sinner. Think of the word of Jesus toward the thief on the cross, the man hanging on the cross, looking at his life with shame. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What an encouragement. He could live now and die with joy in his heart. Are we living in that Christ-like spirit one toward another? Beloved, we live in the midst of a spiritual battle in which we need to help one another keep our eye of faith focused on who we are and the coming again of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The devil is using so many things in our lives to keep us preoccupied. He's trying to succeed in making us slander and gossip and backbite, 
trying to destroy the body of Christ through so many different means. The devil fills our hearts with pride so that we commit ourselves to concerning only about me. And then we make up excuses about even this admonition. We say, well, I don't have the gifts. I'll I'll leave it to somebody else. Perhaps we say, if I would say kind things to others, again, that's going to engender pride. I don't want to engender pride in my pastor or my office bearers or anyone else. And so we make up all kinds of excuses and we isolate ourselves from the body and we don't show much care, much concern for others. Beloved, your and my lives are to be lived in the service of Christ, our Lord and King. And as we do so, there's an urgency to this admonition. And the urgency is felt in the context, again, of this epistle. Persecution intensifying, the end coming. And that's where we find ourselves today. Persecution is intensifying. The end is coming. As we're watching and praying, we need one another. Even as also ye do, is the encouragement here. And again, notice that beautiful encouragement of the apostle. He doesn't come harshly. He doesn't come with accusations about all their failures. He's not saying that discomfort, this encouragement isn't happening. He says, keep doing it. Your children of the light, live out of that light. What a beautiful encouragement to you and to me. Continue. That is, parents, continue in consistent Christian discipline. It's hard work. Using the the rod and reproof in a biblical way requires much time. It requires effort. It requires carefulness. Often we're too weary to press on. Press on, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You are Christ's. He's established covenant with you and with your children by a wonder of grace. And now, as you... Deal with those children who are children of the light. Raise them as such and encourage them as such. But beloved, we desire to see the whole body of Christ built up unto that glorious bride of our Lord. We must not become weary in well-doing. We must not fall asleep. We are not citizens of Rome who merely call a slogan. We are peacemakers those who know the marvelous peace of God in our hearts and those who press on then in the joy and wonder of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, confessing him as Savior, confessing his resurrection as our hope. And beloved, this is why God puts us in the body because life is hard. Life is difficult. Marriage is hard work. Parenting is challenging. And so God knows our need. We need each other. And this is why God gives you children and young people godly parents. You need them. Don't refuse their admonition. God has placed them in your life in order to provide you with this spiritual encouragement and guidance. And they represent God, your Father, who loves and cares for you. They're sinners. You're to deal patiently with them in their sin but you respect them and you receive their loving words. And this is our calling as parents toward our children. Don't forsake the calling that God gives us. This is the most important work that you're involved in. We don't provoke our children to wrath. We don't give occasion for discouragement, but we build them up. We comfort them with the word of God. And beloved, God will work 
positive fruit in our marriages, in our families, and in the church. Just to bring three things out. First of all, there will be joy in our lives. A joy that's unspeakable. By nature, we're tempted to heaviness because we look at the things here below. But God directs us to Christ. And the result is joy. Proverbs 15, verse 30. Or no, Proverbs 25, 12, verse 25 talks about that. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. But a good word maketh it glad. A good word brings joy. God turns heaviness into joy. Never underestimate again the power of God's word. God gives renewed zeal. That comes out from Proverbs 15, verse 30. The light of the eye rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. The reference there to the bones being fat is prosperity. So that the idea here is our physical health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, it's all closely connected. So that an encouraging word, fellowship within the saints, also assists us with our physical well-being. And we live unto God. There's purpose in our lives. And finally, beloved, there's a sweetness that characterizes our relationships. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 16, verse 24. God puts a sweetness into our marriages, into our parenting and our relationship with our children and our relationship as a body of Jesus Christ so that those relationships are characterized by peace, by unity. So, beloved, going away from the sacrament of baptism this morning, and it's remarkable testimony that we lay hold on by faith. May we comfort one another. May we edify and build one another up. And may we live out of that joy, that enthusiasm, and that unity. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank and praise thee for the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. That in him, we know ourselves to be children of the light by a wonder of grace. And that thou art the one who has given unto us to know the joy of his return as he comes again in order to usher us into the glory that awaits. Strengthen us as parents and cause that we might together encourage one another in the Lord. Amen.